0: But after we got that first goal, we were so relentless with our... I'm actually getting emotional thinking about this. Oh, my God. (laughs) Well, it was a very turbulent 92 minutes of football that we endured on Sunday evening. It was all turned around very swiftly in a rather miraculous fashion in the space of about two minutes. It's never really a dull moment supporting this team, is it? (laughs) Welcome back to Ladies in Red and Arsenal Women's Podcast. And obviously today we're going to be focusing on that electric game that took place last weekend on match day three of the WSL. As I mentioned last episode... If you didn't listen, don't worry, I'm going to go over it again now. We were going up against Aston Villa, a team who have also struggled to get going this season, really. They've definitely underperformed, I think, in terms of what we would have expected from them. They failed to pick up a single point from their opening two games in the WSL. Of course, Arsenal haven't fared much better. We've only managed to secure one point out of a possible six. So it was definitely a game... You know, both teams were going into it looking for some saving grace to a rocky start uh, <laughs> to the to the opening of their season. The game was held at the Emirates. And yeah, I think it's fair to say that Arsenal were favourite going into it. Let's have a quick look at the team. So last week, the big question was who would be starting in goal? And yeah, after a rather underwhelming performance against United, including... A pretty big mistake, which did cost us a goal. Sabrina D'Angelo started on the bench with Manuela Zinsberger, our number one, returning between the posts. So we kept the back three shape that I'm not really a fan of. Uh, we're going to talk a bit more about formation as this goes on. But yeah, we sticked with that back three, back five, if you include the wing backs, Um Moy, Illestadt and katli were our defensive trio. Maritz on the right, Katie McCabe on the left as wing-backs. Um, in midfield, we had Kim Little and Valti. Who else? Solid, solid. And then our front three, we had Manon playing on the right, Caitlin Ford on the left, and Alessio Russo uh, in that number nine role. Some big changes, obviously, from that shakeup that we had against Manchester United. I thought some of the players were Pretty unfairly overlooked, I have to say, purely based on form. If we think about Palova, Lacasse, I really think both those players have made a very valid case for them both to be starters in an underperforming team so far this season. Uh, I was quite surprised to see them there, but I think the main focus on this team this week was, of course, the name returning on the bench, Beth Mead. After 330 days on the sidelines, having picked up an ACL injury playing against United last season, the England international was back in the matchday squad and ready to take on the world. It really felt like it was going to be her day to step back on the pitch. There was some mumbles that she gets some game time. I think, I think people were expecting her to come on had we have gone ahead. No spoilers. Had we have gone ahead, um, which obviously wasn't the case until the last minute. But we did get to see a very eagerly awaited cameo from her. Um, notable players for Villa. I want, I'm not going to go through their whole team, but obviously we had Golden Boot winner Rachel Daly, who bet Manchester City's Bunny Shaw last season by one goal. That goal came in the last game of the season versus Arsenal. A crazy story, crazy story. Rachel Daly had actually, up until this point, played at right back. She was in the England Euro 2020 21. Can't remember now, 2021 since right Euro 21 squad as a right back went to Villa and Carla Ward transformed her into an absolutely goal-scoring machine who'd have thought it anyway uh, clearly it was the the right decision Uh, and we also had Anna Patton the centre-back who actually moved to Villa from Arsenal this summer so the game definitely started well Arsenal definitely looked the side with more confidence I felt in the opening few minutes it was by no means a packed Emirates Stadium but there was definitely a very decent turnout Um, you know, in a stadium where the girls have really struggled as of late. I don't think I need to go into too much detail about that. (laughs) Despite a very solid start, the cracks in the foundations appeared yet again, this time from a corner kick in the 25th minute. There was a bit of hustle and bustle in the box, but somehow Maz Paquecho was completely under the radar. She went completely unmarked by anyone heading the ball into the back of the net, past Innsberger and McCabe, whose feet were both firmly planted on the line. It was a really frustrating goal to concede, but it is unfortunately the story of late. It looked like we were using some sort of zonal marking, meaning the Villa players had a decent chance to run onto the ball. Illestad attempted to head the ball out, but missed completely. And really, Paquetto had very, very little to do. Second half, to be honest, was a fairly boring affair. Typical Arsenal as of late, dominating but lacking in the final third. We definitely had better chances. Russo, um, off the top of my head, Russo had a pretty good one that came off the post, but the game changed in extra time. 12 minutes seemed to be a lot, really. I mean, I can kind of understand Carla Ward's complaints, but anyway, 12 minutes we had. <laughs> uh, seemed there was a few injuries and subs, but nevertheless, we didn't need all that time to score. In the 92nd minute from a superb, superb bit of play from super sub Palova. She showed amazing strength to win the ball back in the middle of the pitch. Ford picked it up, carried play up to the edge of the box where she was supported by polova who held the ball up really, really, really well, picking the perfect pass for Katie McCabe to run onto and fire into the roof of the net from a very tight angle. Credit where credit's due. Make no mistakes about it. polova made that goal happen. I've been so impressed with her this season. I, again, I, I really can't understand why she's not one of the first names on on the, the team she every week as a starter nevertheless her composure on the ball her ability on the ball that's just the problem when you have so much squad depth something Arsenal of last season would have only dreamed of having but it's really great to see her it seems like she's coming into her own for sure and of course what can we say about that finish eh Katie McCabe she only scores bangers she only scores bangers I have nothing more to say it was an amazing goal really got the crowd going but It was clear that there was a hunger and drive to keep going, that that one point that her equaliser got was not enough. Straight from the restart, we looked so hungry and ready for more. Almost immediately from the restart, Black, Stinius made an absolutely super run, but her shot, which glided straight past the keeper, couldn't find the back of the net and came off the post instead. It really didn't seem like a question of if, rather, when. When were we going to get that winner? But we didn't have to wait long at all did we in our hour of need in our hour of desperation there she was the woman who'd waited over 300 days to play football again who'd been crowned player of the tournament and golden boot winner in the 2021 euros who came second to only Alexia Puteas in last year's Ballon d'Or Beth Mead the hero we needed I'm so sorry I had to do it I'm so so sorry I know I know we were absolutely relentless relentless from that moment we got our equalizer and like I said, it didn't take long. In the 94th minute, so two minutes after we'd scored our equaliser, I honestly, I'm getting emotional thinking about this moment. But Wubamoy picked up the ball. She carried it really well on the left hand side. She found Mead, who was in a bit of space. She had a bit of a bad touch, however. That pulled about three players in and around her. She got a very, very brave touch on the ball to pass the ball back to Alessia Russo, who was standing waiting on the edge of the box, who didn't have much to do. She slotted it straight into the back of the net and the place erupted. Honestly, thinking back on it now, I'm getting goosebumps. And if you have the chance to watch the highlights on YouTube on the Arsenal um, official channel, you will hear the noise in the stadium. It was electric. Honestly, it was so, so incredible. An amazing goal. And I think... I think, obviously, Alessio Russo getting her first goal is such an incredible achievement for her. What a way to do it as well. It's very like um, uh, Declan Rice scoring that goal against uh, United so early on in the season for his first Premier League goal for the club. And now we have Alessio Russo standing up in our moment of need, as I mentioned. But credit where credit's due. That came from Beth Mead. Like I said, she had a really brave touch if you think she was out for three hundred days, over 300 days with an injury. She was very brave to go in, get that ball, pass it back to Russo. And wow, I'm so excited to see the partnership that those two develop. What a feeling. What an absolute feeling. Um, it obviously goes without saying, Arsenal came away with the first three points of the season. Woo! Um, in the most dramatic and chaotic fashion. But would we expect anything less? I, I don't think so. I really don't think so. We should get used to this. And I'm going to look at that in a little bit later. But let's have a quick look at the match stats while we're here. Uh, Arsenal had four shots on target. Villa, two. We had 10 off target. They had one. We had 64% of the possession in comparison to their 36%. We had eight corners. They had three. We actually got no yellow cards. And they picked up two. We had one keeper save. And they had two. But realistically, we were the better team overall. And I think I think the fair result came from that game obviously I'm biased which you know I'm, I'm happy with it obviously as I mentioned I am really surprised by Villa's poor start to the season they've had three games and they've come away with three losses now look they've played Arsenal they've played United they also played Liverpool but still i'm it's not an easy start but you would think they'd have at least a few points on the board coming away from from their opening three games i was really tipping them to be pushing the top 4 after their amazing performance last season it's the second time this season however that they've lost the game in the dying moments the first game against united they also conceded i believe that was also in the 92nd minute for some very you know late on drama heartbreak what's the reason for that so why are villa conceding so many late goals i, I Obviously, I'm no expert, but I've am had i had a little look into it. And um, one thing that strikes me is their squad is very, very thin. Uh, towards the end of the game, the players looked tired. They defended well all game. I think credit where credit's due. But they'd soaked up so much pressure in those first 19, 92 minutes, whatever it was, um, that the players that were on the pitch looked really, really tired. In terms of their bench, look, they have... A few injuries, suspensions. Kenza Daly came back from uh, the World Cup. She was playing with France with an injury. Kirstie Hansen received a red card in their opening game versus United, so she faced suspension. Um, but they only had six players on their bench. And of those six players, five were outfield players who were all brought on during the game. One player, of course, that is worth mentioning mention here is Jordan Nobbs, an Arsenal legend who left last Christmas to hopefully get a bit more game time. Um, she started game bench. She did come on though. However, yeah, she came on. I think that was in the seventy something minute. But what also um is worth noting here is the quick succession of substitutions that were made from the eighty seventh minute to the ninetieth. So four other subs were made in that time. Very very quick succession. Maybe a bit of a rash decision, I'm not sure. But it definitely meant that Villa lost a bit of shape and they lost a bit of that structure that they had all game that they were defending so well with. Now, talking about losing shape, I cannot, with a good conscience, move on from this game without mentioning the formation that we ended with. As I mentioned, we started with the 3-5-3. We essentially finished the game with a 2-1-7 formation. And no, I really have not been able to stop thinking about this like I haven't. I just cannot stop thinking about this. I'm going to go through the subs that we made in the 30, uh, sorry, the 63rd minute. Freedom Anum came off for Le Casse. 64th, we saw the introduction of Palova for Ilistat, so midfielder for a defender. Uh Leo Valti came off, so our holding midfielder in the 76th minute for Black Stinius, a striker. And in the 88th minute, Noel Moritz, who started in that wing back right position in the Right wing back position came off for Beth Mead. Look, was it chaotic? Absolutely. Of course it was. Um, But that attacking pressure that we brought in those dying minutes is essentially what led to the two goals. There was attacks coming from every angle. It was really, really, really good pressure from Arsenal. I was happy with it. And I think... A few people have mentioned that the three at the back formation isn't really working. And I tend to agree because it tends to limit us in terms of what we do going forward. And now I'm not saying that we should be playing every game with seven in attack. No, absolutely not. But we have the quality there to be a bit more attack minded and to go for these games from the get go and to score early on. Wouldn't that be a crazy concept to get a few early goals? And um, that being said, what I personally would like to see in our next game which is against Bristol, we're going to get onto that in a bit, would be go back to the back four and have a much more attacking-minded approach to the game. Also, I just want to mention the Roars as Beth Mead stepped back on the pitch and the unravelled Villa defence, it led to the last two minutes of nothing but hope, belief, and there was such an energy in the stadium. It really, really feels as though the Arsenal women are making the Emirates their home and it is so... So incredible to see. And when you have that atmosphere around you, how can you not be inspired to go and score and have those big match-winning moments? Yeah, so we looked at why Villa are conceding so many last-minute goals. But another question that really is bothering me, not bothering, but it's it's playing on my mind, is why are Arsenal, not just the women, the men also, why are we scoring so many goals in added time? What is this? I would like to call it the Reese Nelson effect. I feel like ah, since he scored that winner against uh, Bournemouth last season, it's just become a a trend it's become something that we've become accustomed to so i did a little bit of googling not too much but a little bit and i found this very interesting uh, post from george cummins for the bbc sports that was released in september 2023 in six matches this calendar year arsenal have scored in the 90th minute to win or salvage a point it cannot be a coincidence the gunners have a habit of scoring last minute goals and fyi this is just about the men's team in 2023 alone, Arsenal have done this twice to Manchester United, once to Bournemouth, scoring two late goals at Villa Park, salvaged a draw at home to Southampton, and Trossard scored a very, very late equaliser against Man City in the Community Shield, which obviously we went on to win uh, on penalties. Now, it's not just the men's team. If we think back to those early Champions League games that we played this season, gone, you know, or RIP Champions League hopes for Arsenal this season. Um, we also had some very late equalizers there are winners even Blackstinius um obviously Big Jen Beattie up top who else but think back to last weekend we had Chloe Lacasse scoring in the 93rd minute an equalizer against Manchester United and this week we had Katie McCabe and Alessio Russo firing in the 92nd and 94th minute respectively. Um, George Cummins goes on to say there is a pulsating energy running through the Emirates Stadium at the moment and the players and coaching staff have a never-ending belief that they can score very late, particularly at home, which is what we saw here again. If these late goals continue, it could play a huge factor in the fight for the title. Oh, well, George, you have that right. I hope they continue, but I I just don't understand. I feel as though we play such a conservative way, I guess, in the first opening minutes. I mean, we've seen that particularly from the women. It's not so much the men, but the women in particular this season. It feels as though everything's very, very cagey in the opening in the first half, you know what I mean? And then we become a bit braver as the game goes on and we go for that more attacking formation. We bring on those substitutes. I'm Look, I'm not a fan of this three at the back. I think it actually limits us in terms of our attacking threat, which we have... In abundance. I'm sorry, we have so much attacking threat now. Players coming back from injury, Beth Mead, which we saw this weekend, for example, we strengthened an awful lot in terms of our summer signings this summer. And I really, really, really am just struggling to understand why we're going with that back three because defensively we still look weak. I mean, I think it's all the rotation, it's the lack of consistency. But once we get that sorted, I think going forward we'll be able to build on that as well. And we've just looked so limited for ideas at points of certain games. And I don't know, I, I'm obviously happy to win the game, however <laughs> we can win it. But I just wish we had a bit more of that, I suppose, spontaneity, that, that creative spark. Also, I wish the managers, in this case, we're speaking about Jonas Idova, I wish he was a bit more attack-minded when we go into games. And that's why I think this weekend against against um, Bristol, which we're going to get on we are going to see hopefully, I really, really hope a bit more of an attacking minded team as they're starting eleven so let's just have a very quick look at the rest of match day three results from the w s l this weekend. Chelsea faced West Ham on the Saturday night they came away, two 0 winners in that Manchester United faced Leicester City at home, and that ended in a one one draw. Leicester City are on a staggering run of form I have it <laughs> has to be said at the moment um absolutely crazy i don't think anyone would have started such a strong opening few games from them and you know you can say they played easy games but they came up against united united were at home and they came away with the point obviously united had a difficult week this game was sandwiched between uh, their champions league qualifiers which we're gonna have a look at it also in a bit i feel like i'm saying that all i have a plan trust me i have a plan um Nevertheless, credit where credit's due. Leicester City came away with a very big point there and yeah, whatever they're doing, they're doing very, very well. Biggest result from this weekend was Man City who faced Bristol uh, City, City Squared. Um, They won that game very comfortably, 5-0. Probably the most convincing win that we've seen this season so far. Uh, Spurs came away 3-1 victors over Brighton and we also had the... Merseyside derby this weekend which was played in Anfield that game was won by Everton so Liverpool's unbeaten run this season has come to the end, what does that mean for the standings? Well, Man City now sit top with 7 points uh, out of 3 games, Leicester are just behind them as are Chelsea, the only difference is goal difference, Uh, Spurs are in 4th, Liverpool 5th, United 6th, Arsenal are up to 7 thanks to that lovely 3 points that we collected this weekend, Everton 8th, West Ham ninth. Brighton are 10th and then we have Villa 11th only followed by Bristol City because of that goal difference hmm. now Arsenal's next game is this weekend and we are playing none other than Bristol City I mean we have to go into this game not just focusing on coming away with the three points but actually improving our goal difference because at the moment it's looking a little bit thin and um, Bristol City I don't want to be too harsh obviously they're newly promoted team they're coming to grips in the, in the WSL however defensively they're looking very 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 leaky they conceded four against Leicester three against Spurs and of course the five this weekend against City you would hope having that extra confidence off the back of the Villa game that we're going to go into this game full of confidence obviously we're away from home Um there's no reason why we can't get a very respectable result here particularly particularly now that things start to be working in terms of our attacking going forward we've scored two goals in our past two games let's push for more i think it's a game we really need to be coming away with with at least at least 3 to 4 goals um obviously it's hard to predict what's going to happen but what I want to see is a slightly less defensive-minded team going out. As I mentioned, I'm not a fan of that back three. Let's go back to two to at the back, uh, Wubamoy, Illestat, BT, whoever it is, and then beefing up our, our midfield a bit, maybe play Palova, who I think definitely deserves a start. I would also, also really call for Stinius to start as well. I've been so impressed with her runs. I think her and uh, Alessio Russo complement each other so, so well, and we saw that particularly in the game against um, Aston Villa when they were both on the pitch at the same time. I love it. I love that combination of the two of them playing. Their partnership is great. Obviously, we have super sub-me to come on. Oh, it's it's a tough one. It's a tough one, but I think with the right people, players who are in form as well, not just picking players off merit, but players who are in form, like at having the team, um, it's a game we really need to win convincingly. In my opinion, that game takes place on Sunday, the 22nd of October at quarter to eight or quarter to seven. I'm not sure. Depends where you are, I guess, in the world. So just before we wrap up, I want to have a quick look at the Champions League because obviously the final qualification games were played last night Um, two pretty, maybe not shock results, but two. The result's worth mentioning here for sure. Uh, Paris and germain they qualified ahead of Manchester United. On aggregate, that game was 4-2. Paris won 3-1 yesterday evening. Um, yeah, obviously, United's first time in the Champions League. They had a tough draw. I think, from what I saw in the games, PSG played very well. They probably deserved to qualify. But I do think Mark Skinner's comments after the game were worth noting he did say you know it's not very fair that two teams of this quality are playing at this stage of the pre-group uh, stages of the, the competition which I have to agree with as well we obviously had the same complaints when Arsenal went out um, against FC Paris who, <laughs> who put out last season's finalist Wolfsberg an absolute shock result they won 2-0 last night away in Wolfsberg winning 5-3 on aggregate. That result is honestly mind-blowing. I think that's shaken a lot of people in the world of women's football. Um, obviously, as an Arsenal fan, I feel a little bit better because we obviously had that very, very fiery um, semi-final last season against Wolfsburg. They've scored in the 119th minute to go into the final ahead of us against Barcelona. I just cannot believe that both teams, both Arsenal and Wolfsburg, Are out and both have suffered. (laughs) Sounds a bit dramatic. Both have been put out um, by Paris FC. Great, great time to be in French women's football. It seems three uh, French teams have qualified for the Champions League at a sixteen. Paris FC, Lyon, of course, the giants of the competition and Paris Saint-Germain. So I just want to look very, very quickly at the draw, the teams that have gone through. The draw is taking place tomorrow, but I want to have a look at the pots and which teams are in which. In pot one, we have obviously last season winners Barcelona. They won um, La Liga F, probably favourites to go on and win again this season. It looks very unlikely that anyone's going to challenge them. Chelsea, Bayern Munich and Lyon finish up that pot in pot two, PSG, Real Madrid, Rosengrad and Slavia Prager, the Prague team. I'm so sorry, didn't work on the pronunciation before it came on. Pot three, Benfica, Hecken, Roman and Saint-Polten. In pot four, then finishing up, we have Ajax, Pran, Eintracht Frankfurt and FC, Paris FC, excuse me. So, they're the teams that are qualified. I don't think, looking at first glance, that they're the teams we all expected to be there. I think um yeah, Wolfsburg are a massive miss. Arsenal, obviously, as well. Like I said, that semi-final last year was electric. Yeah, Man United also missed out. Uh, Juventus as well, another team that went out in the same round that we did. And it's crazy. I mean, obviously, on one hand, it's really, really great to see other teams qualifying and getting the opportunity to play on one of the biggest stages. However... What we're probably going to see is some very heavy defeats in the group stages. That's not a guarantee, but it's, I mean, last season, Arsenal bet um, one of the teams they were up against 9-0. And then on the other hand, you have to look and see it, some of the teams that haven't qualified because of that very complicated qualification system. Um, there's a lot of calls being made for the formation of the Champions League to be looked at, to be addressed, because missing out on teams that we've just mentioned for the rest of the competition, for the rest of the season is massive. Obviously we have domestic leagues, we have domestic cups, but the real excitement, the real buzz around women's football happens in the international games and the Champions League competitions. From my experience, I mean... I'm obviously very much a fan of expanding the competition, maybe reducing the mental qualification games, increasing the number of teams, giving everyone a chance and investing more into it. Obviously, it's going to cost a lot to to increase the size of this. But at the end of the day, in order to grow women's football sustainably and in the correct manner, investment has to be made. And I think the first place to look at investing this money has to be on a European level to improve the level of football across the board, to uh, increase the visibility also of the women's game and also because i want arsenal back in it next year okay can i say that i hope i can but anyway that's all from me this week i hope i hope you enjoyed it as always i hope you learned something um and yeah i look forward to speaking to you next week hopefully with a massive win under our belts going into the the international break so thank you so much for listening and see you then bye <laughs>